This is the Cover 2 Podcast with Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Brady on the deep drop, stands in, fires down the middle for Gronkowski, makes the grab at the 45, spinning away from defenders. He's gone to the 20, to the 10, to the 5, to the end zone. The Cover 2 Podcast on Patriots.com. The play fake and a throw to the end zone for Antonio Brown. Touchdown, Pittsburgh. Nobody covers the NFL like the guys from Cover 2. Eight different receivers have caught a pass from Matt Ryan today. He's looking to throw again. Wide open, Julio Jones has it. And in the end zone, touchdown, Falcons. Now, Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Cover 2 Podcast with Banks and Stevens. I am Don Banks joining you once again from the studio at Gillette Stadium. And Nick Stevens is here as my sidekick and partner in crime for a, I guess this is a week three of the preseason episode of Cover 2. We are getting there. We are Mm -hmm. almost to the real thing. We are following the path of totality. (laughs) <laughs> to an eclipse joke. I love the this. 2017 NFL season. Did you? Did you? Thank you very much. He's here. Good, I'll be here all podcast. Half the week. Half the week. Mostly Tuesday mornings. Yeah. Did you partake of the eclipse? You know, um, I I really didn't. I made an attempt. It was a feeble attempt. My wife, I love her, said she read on the internet, of course, so it had to be true that one way to get around the non-glasses problem was just turn your phone on selfie mode and then. Aim it at the sun, and then you look at, at the, the opposite at the phone the opposite direction, and it all sounded good until I went out at like two forty six mm-hmm. and decided to test it out and saw virtually nothing from that distance, and decided not to risk uh, retina damage over it. Do you know who did risk retinal damage yesterday? Uh, and may have incurred a different kind of damage other than the president, Odell Beckham Jr. Oh, that's true. That's true. I thought you were going to go with uh, TB12 there, too, although TB12 actually, and I should let our producer, Kevin Collins, tell this story, but TB12 borrowed Kevin Kevin Collins' eclipse glasses, and here the clock is ticking. Yeah. Kevin did tweet tweet about this with a priceless look of what the blank dude on his face. It is Tom Brady. If Tom there's, Brady there's asks a photo of Brady with the glasses on and me next to him, just looking like I'm in physical pain. And he like can just wanting my glasses. He back. can hear the clock ticking on the on the on the eclipse, and it obviously was nowhere near totality in Foxborough. So that was a nice moment. But, but if there's anyone you want to see or live the eclipse through, it's Tom Brady, right? That's what I said. Prima donnas get yeah. everything. They get everything. So. We have a good show. We're going to actually have, uh, three weeks ago, we tried to hook up with this gentleman. We actually are going to have the one and only Gil Brandt. Uh, not only does Gil, uh, in his 84 years of uh, of life on this planet, he's probably seen an eclipse or two, eh? 84 yeah. years old for Gil Brandt. Not only is he still working for Sirius XM NFL Radio. He does the Late Hits show with my friend Alex Marvez. He still writes for NFL.com. He does pretty much extensive draft coverage. He is the godfather of the NFL draft. Um, in addition to having those almost three decades with the Dallas Cowboys, um, he's always a great interview, a great conversation, because if it's happened in the last 70 years or so of professional football, Gil's seen it. Gil is basically a maester, to borrow from Game of Thrones. He is one of the uh, 
human living anecdotes of football, you know, like that giant library where all knowledge exists on Game of Thrones. That's Gil as a person. I can he knows see that. It. He knows everything. Plus, considering that he may be the only football sage who's probably seen Haley's Comet twice. Uh, <laughs> he won't He won't talk much about this, but he's. it's also a big week for him. I wrote a story yesterday mm -hmm. uh, that ran or was posted Monday afternoon on Patriots.com um, looking at Robert Kraft, the Patriots owner's Hall of Fame candidacy, as it relates to this week. Why is this week important? Because on Friday of this week, the five-person um, panel of sports writers who are the subcommittee on the contributor class of the Hall of Fame pool will meet and vote for the 2018 nominee finalist from the contrib contributor class. And Robert Kraft is obviously one of the very strong contenders for that. Gil Brandt is mm -hmm. as well. Pat Bolin, the Broncos' longtime 33-year uh, owner, is another candidate. The late George Young, general manager of the New York Giants during their two Super Bowl Bill Parcells era. And lastly, Bobby Bethard, who led both the Washington Redskins through uh, a portion of their Super Bowl glory days and then later took the San Diego Chargers program to its one and only Super Bowl, Super Bowl appearance in 1994. Those are your five main candidates for the Hall of Fame contributor finalist this year that will go to the full body for the vote next February, the day before the Minneapolis Super Bowl. And Gil won't talk about his candidacy much. There's a lot of people rooting for Gil Brandt because he is um, he, he really is just almost this uh, unique figure in the game, uh, given his experience, his age, what he's seen, what he's done. I think someday he's in the Canton, Canton Hall of Fame. I think he gets the Omar Thalberg Lifetime Achievement Award, per se, uh, by the voters. Listen, as far as I'm concerned, it's not about how you got there. It's just getting there. Yeah, no. That's just someplace like when you get your bronze bust, when you get that gold jacket – when you get to stand in front of those fans, that's all that matters. But that's and to me, I feel like with the controversies that have surrounded certain halls of fame and the indifference shown to others at this point, I feel like the Pro Football Hall of Fame now is in professional sports in America our most sacred. I don't know. I I, I, I still think baseball has it beat in terms of history and prestige. I will say this. The last 20 I, years have been a little... Well, I think the Baseball Hall of Fame has its steroid era problem, and that has tainted kind of the whole process. But I think pro football has some issues in terms of how the selections go down. It's a very small body, as you know. It's only 48 main voters now, and I still think that needs to be broadened and diversified. Um, and I'm, I have a lot of good friends who have been voters. Obviously, my longtime colleague Peter King has been on the Hall of Fame committee for decades uh paul zimmerman before him but i still think the process needs a few more um voices of players and executives and and it needs to broaden it it is certainly prestigious having just spent three days in canton earlier this month uh it, it's become a massive enterprise and a massive um uh, you know uh, ever ever uh increasing um prestige but i don't i don't know that i would agree that it's that it's that it's nipped baseball in terms of the stage yet but anyway that's enough football history let's go to something that's barely what 12 12 hours old Just 14 a, hours old an e an eve old not even a full 24 hours the odell beckham junior injury 
uh, Monday night. It was unfortunate, obviously, against the Cleveland Browns in Cleveland, uh, just blocks away from where the Red Sox were going down in fiery defeat against the Cleveland Indians. Odell Beckham Jr. gets hit from behind, um, and immediately the outcry was it was a low blow, a dirty hit, a dirty play by some. Nick, how did you see that hit? I saw that hit in replay, not live, and the second it happened, the first thing it reminded me as Patriots fan, unfortunately, was T.J. Ward's hit in a comparable area on Gronk four years ago at Gillette Stadium, and the way Gronk had planted his foot after he caught that ball, it blew out his knee, it was a, it was a wicked hit, and it was still technically a clean hit, but that begat, I think, this long discourse we've had on the difficulty of defensive backs trying to take out receivers, large targets like Gronk. Odell Beckham, the way he landed, I think that added a lot to the way that he got hurt and the the way people took it. If it just was like he got popped in the thigh and it got swept out from under his feet, it would have been a clean hit, no harm, no foul. But because it's a primetime player, it's the preseason, and it bends awkwardly, Right. everybody freaks out. And now hot takes it like we got to call the, the hot take police and – have them send out the full squad about this guy should be thrown out and how could we do that exactly? Oh, I unbe- saw it's I saw hot takes it's by people. Hot takes by people I respect in the media who said he should be suspended for the year, and I just went into repeated slap my forehead mode. Look, it looked worse in than it really was right. in reality. There, yep. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. If you watch it. He hits low on the thigh. He does not hit where the knee, he did not force the knee to bend the way the knee is not supposed to bend. Right, he didn't have to bend the knee, as they say. Exactly. Second of all, every time something happens to a superstar in today's game, and I would would say Beckham is the absolute um, primo example of this, Everybody screams bloody murder because they don't want to see him off the field because he adds so much, obviously, to the did you see that appeal to the NFL these days. But I don't like the preseason any more than than anyone does. But if you're going to play, you have to let them play to some degree football. What I saw was a hit that looked worse than it really was Mm -hmm. that, you know, was low but not at the knee per se and it was also keeping in mind that these guys have had it drilled in their head they can't go high they can't go head and neck then that does trigger the defenseless uh receiver or or defenseless player uh part of the rule book i just think it's getting a little ridiculous that that play set off a national firestorm because it was not a dirty or it's so ridiculous it's the only game Thank on a you, Monday Bill. Exactly. Thank you, Bill. It's on a Monday night. It's the only game. It is OBJ. Uh, maybe people's eyes were blinded after the eclipse. I don't know. It seems crazy that that's, a clean hit. That's it, a good theory. I hadn't en- thought of that. Yeah, engendered all of these crazy hot takes and people freaking out about player safety in the preseason and OBJ. I, I Let me ask you this. Are we getting to a point now where NFL uniforms – are going to have to basically have strike zones, a, exactly a, like yeah. a colored area. The same way people have been with sensors banging a drum on, like, well, th- we need to have a computerized strike zone and take away 
the umpires' calls because people piss and moan so much about what is and isn't a strike. Let's have a strike zone. So With that, sensors built into the uniform so yep. that if the hit is in that uh, illegal zone, right. uh, um, some sort of uh, light goes off it'll on the... Be right, it'll be right below the chest plate. It'll be around right around the chest plate, and it'll go to just above, like... like uh, low thigh but before the knee and if you hit elsewhere then an automatic penalty comes up or maybe you can accrue points and then you get thrown out of a game or get suspended for i think even the most ardent strident beckham defenders last night that that was a illegal or dirty hit if they're being truthful and i think they would if this was the seventh string receiver for the giants who took that hit mm-hmm. what would been what would the reaction have been and it would have been nowhere near zero because it's the star system and i get we want our best you know biggest stars on the field but you can't play football uh, with with rules that differ from from player to player. Okay, well, listen, the the shelf full of cans of worms is running out of stock pretty quickly because we have to open up another one. Then, which is then, why do you have your stars out there in games that it doesn't count? And stars who could very well have held out or are looking to be rewarded handsomely, maybe even the highest paid player in football. If he's going to take that chance, then he's got to work something out with. Uh, old diner menu coach there and say like hey McAdoo listen I, I want to get warm like the next guy but ain't nobody paying money to see me run a couple of routes against Cleveland on a Monday night in the preseason I just want you to know that Mike Holmgren had the diner menu play call list long before McAdoo did but there is a a, 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 a you know a um, long history of Green Bay coaches mm-hmm. I guess there and that's where McAdoo must have learned it all right so that's how the preseason Week two ended last yeah. night. It, it started Thursday night with that scintillating Tampa Bay at Jacksonville game, Whew. otherwise known as perhaps the beginning of the real end for Blake Bortles. The battle for North Florida. I watched most of that first half just to watch Blake Bortles, and I'm here to say that there's no going back. I think the genie is fully out of the bottle. No way to put Humpty Dumpty back together again for Mr. Bortles. Keep in mind, number three overall pick in 2014. Mm-hmm. But here they are. They just picked up his fifth-year fifth option, oops, uh, recently. And now he goes out and melts down in your first two preseason games. And horrors of horrors, we ended that night with Doug Marone, the Jaguars' first-year head coach, saying the immortal words, you know, he needs, he needs someone to lead this team, and basically – gave the ball to Chad Henney for the time being. Chad Henney has a shot. My point is, if you're in the position heading into week three of the preseason and you've opened the door to Chad Henney, 32 and hasn't played a snap in two years, as your potential week one starter, you've already lost. There is, and I heard this, uh, I can't remember exactly where I heard this, so I, I apologize for not giving proper attribution, but I heard recently that there's a great follow on Twitter called at Bortles facts, which are facts about Blake Bortles, and each, every single one of them is an absolute truth. It is true. It is maybe one of, in a world of funny follows on the internet, social media, NFL, it may be one of the absolute funniest things I've ever seen. And what's crazy is not only the capital they spent on this guy, the talent they've surrounded him right. with, and the fact that they're now basically doubling down on a penny stock. Like the valuation was great, the IPO was great a couple of years ago. Not when anyone else said, oh, we needed, the, we needed Blake Bortles. You had a chance to go out and get any number of other serviceable quarterbacks. You could get a uh, – talk about all your – you could get Warm Body. You could get The Journeyman. You could get 
any number of 30-something-year-old guys who could just, you know, guide you to uh, a 9-7, and 10-6 ten, ten team. I've wanted to get on board what I call the Jag Wagon for a while. I think this team is loaded with talent on both sides of the ball. I don't like the way that sounds. I just The Jag Wagon. You know what? It sounds like a bunch of jabronis that are going to a game in Pittsburgh. Or worse. Yeah. Actually worse. <laughs> it's not that bad. <laughs> it's not that bad. There's a lot know. of talent. Look, they've got one of the possible steals in the draft in D.D. Westbrook at wide receiver, and I know he's a character risk. You've got a blooming star possibly at running back in a very talented backfield with Yeldon and Chris Ivory now adding Leonard Fournette. You've got an offensive line-minded coach, and you've got a disciplinarian in Coughlin, and you've got stars aplenty on defense. Everything there says they should be challenging for division and should be sniffing around a playoff berth, and Blake Bortles will absolutely turn that Winnebago over like an anchorman too, full of scorpions. This is going to be Chad Henney's team. Look, I, I hope Leonard Fournette, I hope he rests up and get, gets healthy because I think he is going to be the most overworked running back in the league this year. Calling it right now. I'm going to Vegas I, this week. I'm ice up. right now. Ice up, son. <laughs> ice up, son. I'm telling you, I'm making two bets when I go to Vegas this week. Patriots to win the oh, Super no, Bowl. Oh, no, you're going to ask him because he didn't finish the game. Ice up, son. Ice up. <laughs> Top five sound bites this decade by far. I'm bet two bets. Patriots to win the Super Bowl, and I'm betting – Jags lead the NFL in carries. I, I'm betting the over with 400 carries for Leonard Fournette. No. Yeah. <laughs> got, it, with Yeldon and, and Ivory, I mean that's the thing. If you don't trust Bortles, uh, you're going to be running. He's going to he's he's going to make he's going to make 2016 Sam Bradford under Coughlin this year under Coughlin and Marone. He's going to make 2016 Sam Bradford look like a riverboat gambler because I, he's going to be all checkdowns and wide receiver screens, and they're going to pound the rock. Don't throw anything at me, Nick. I hesitate to make. Jokes about taking the air out of the football while I sit in Gillette Stadium, but the Jaguars are going to take the air out of the football and run, run, run this season. Judges will allow. Okay, thank you. Okay, join now, as promised, on the Cover 2 podcast by none other than Gil Brandt. Gil, if you don't know, Sirius XM NFL Radio is on late hits with Alex Marvez, but of course he spent almost three decades as the top personnel executive for the Dallas Cowboys in their 60s, 70s, and almost all of the 80s. Gil, welcome to the Cover 2 Podcast. Thanks so much for taking time. You're with Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Well, thank you, Don and, and Nick. I appreciate you having me on. It's a, it's a real privilege. Um, Gil, obviously a big week. We're going to start, first of all, for you. Um, you are up as you have been in the past as a contributor uh, nominee for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the vote by the committee that's going to decide this year's one finalist to go to the the full panel of Hall of Fame voters votes on Friday in Canton. I know we spoke the other day on the phone um, about your candidacy this year. Um, it's it's obviously a deep and very well-respected um, crop of potential candidates, but I also think that um, Everybody I've talked to for a story that I wrote yesterday on Patriots.com um, detailing what might happen on Friday, specifically as it relates to Patriots owner Robert Kraft, everybody I talked to said one thing. Gil Brandt has a groundswell of support out there. It's building, and a, they feel sooner or later you will be putting that gold jacket on. I just wondered your thoughts going into Friday's vote um, and, and how you look at this year's um, class of potential inductees well don let me let me say this first of all i feel honored 
just to be considered uh, for the Hall of Fame recognition. Uh, and I think that uh, uh, it, it's, it's flattering to me. Uh, you know, I think everybody truthfully uh, hopes that uh, when they enter the National Football League that somehow uh, they get to win a Super Bowl or be involved in winning a Super Bowl, and then secondly, uh, being uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame. I've won the Super Bowl. I should say my, I've been a t- with a team that's won two Super Bowls and played with five, uh, and I've been nominated before uh, for the Hall of Fame, and I respect the voters, and I'm sure uh, that they got a difficult decision uh, because there's so many people uh, that belong into the belong in this Hall of Fame. Gil, we're we're famous now, all of us in the media, for hot takes in this day and age of the NFL. And of course, last night the Giants Browns game was the only game on the NFL schedule. Monday Night Football treatment. Um, the big moment was the hit suffered against Odell Beckham Jr., the Giants receiver. I'm not going to tip my hand, but I'm curious, as a man who has watched NFL football for, I'm guessing, parts of seven decades, when you look at that hit and you saw the outcry, um, and fortunately they're saying it's only a slightly sprained ankle, I believe, not a, um, a terribly serious injury, I want your hot take on that hit and what you thought of it and what you thought of the reaction to it. Well, you know, first of all, I watched it on television like you did, and and uh, I watched him go to the locker room. Uh, you know, any time that you're playing in a football game, you take a chance on getting injured. Uh, and, and we've tried uh, for many, 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 many years uh, to make the, the game safer, uh, both through equipment and rules. And, and I think that a lot of times you've got guys in preseason games that are playing for jobs, and 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 sometimes a lesser light uh, will will take somebody out of a play uh, just because he's trying to win a job. I didn't, uh, in all honesty, see anything dirty about that play. Thank you. I I thought that it was uh, just a a play that happens, and and you know it's one of those plays. It's kind of like uh, last Friday night or Thursday night. Uh, when the tackle from uh, Seattle went down Fant. Uh, that was just a, not a dirty play. It was just a thing where uh, a teammate was blocked into him and the teammate rolled up on him and, and tore, his, uh, tore his ACL. Uh, but I did not think that that was a, a dirty play last night. I agree with you, and here's why. Um, if you watched it again and again as we did, first of all, the hit was above the knee. It was really lower thigh area. I don't believe... In this day and age, when you're asking guys not to go high and repeatedly reminding them of the consequences of going high, you can get too specific then if, if they go low. And I saw some people said that the Browns cornerback should be suspended for the year, which is just mind-boggling to me. If you're going to play preseason, which no one seems to like anymore, you at least have to allow for contact. Thankfully, uh, Beckham was not hurt, but I feel like the reaction, Gil, was because he's a superstar, and you can't really have two sets of rules for for everyday players and superstars. Correct. Correct. And, was, and, and Don, let me let me just say this. You know, going back many, many, many years, uh, when Tech Schramm was on the competition committee, and they had an all star team. They had Al Davis and Don Shula and. And, and Mara, and, and, and I forget who else was all on there. 
And, and, you know, the biggest thing that they tried to do was how do we make the game safer? How do we make the game safer? And I think it's that way now. I think we've done a great job, the National Football League, in helping make the game safer at all levels, uh, in high school, in college. Uh, so we're just trying to make the game safer and, and how to make the game more competitive uh, from the standpoint of, of uh, things that we do. You know, we, we've, we've taken trying to take the kickoff return out because that's where a lot of guys get hurt. So we now can kick the ball into the end zone and get it back to the 25-yard line, or you can kick it down to the goal line and hope the guy returns it, and the average return is to the 22-yard line. But, uh, you know, for mothers and dads, and, and an interesting thing uh, took place in Canton. Nick Lowry, uh, who, who is, is a real story, you know, I think he was cut by about eight different teams before he was finally uh, came into this league as a kicker and a very good one, uh, was doing something, and I think he talked to, told me he talked to 20-plus Hall of Famers and asked them if they would let their sons play football, and he said not one of them said no. So I think that, uh, you know, players talking about their sons and saying uh, that if you follow the rules and if you practice the tackling the way it's taught, uh, then your chances of getting hurt are minimal. And, you know, a guy can step off the curb, as uh, as McFadden did one time, the great linebacker, uh, from uh, uh, from Oklahoma that was picked by the Jets in the first round in Chicago and never really played again. So, you know, in many ways it can happen, but I think it's the, the bottom of the line of the story is football is a lot safer now than ever before. Gil, there seems to be this confusion now about the preseason in so much as preseason football games used to be played at full game speed and while the games obviously don't count, people would get excited about it because it was the return of football. And now people are concerned about having an Odell Beckham type of injury, so they're not sure if they're supposed to go half speed or full speed, or are we just sort of having like a, a glorified football exercise? I'm curious to hear, after having watched football for so many years, what what do you think is the best course of action for the preseason? Should Should these just be a bunch of organized scrimmages played at half measure? Should it be cut down to three so that we don't end up with a, a flurry of hot takes and people being concerned about losing their superstars heading into the moneymaker that is the regular season? Well, Don, uh, the Dallas Cowboys one year uh, lost Roger Staubach uh, for most of the season. Uh, in a preseason game against the L.A. Rams, uh, where he was running and was hit and uh, driven out of bounds and sustained a so- shoulder injury. Uh, you know, when I first came into this league, we played six preseason games. Uh, we went to training camp 17 days prior to the first uh, game. And, and, you know, we, we went to training camp 17 days ahead of time because we it took us 17 days to get guys in shape. You know, now we have all the off-season programs uh, that take place, so the players come in in shape. So, uh, you know, when I visit a training camp, and, and I think I visited nine this year, uh, when I visit a training camp, I marvel at what takes place the first day or second day or third day you're there that they put pads on. I mean, it's like guys have been practicing for weeks uh, is what it is. So, you know, I'm 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 not against cutting it down to three preseason games and, and, you know, take that three preseason games and if you could work it out, have a 17-game schedule. 
uh, I think that would be beneficial to everyone. Gil, you know, I'm old enough to remember the, the six-game preseason as well. You shared a anecdote with our good friend Peter King in, in this week's Monday Morning Quarterback column about 1960, the Cowboys' first year. Obviously, NFL teams did a lot of barnstorming back then. The Cowboys were kind of maybe even on the on the front of that edge. He's, you talked about the game that you played in Pendleton, Oregon. You called it probably the smallest venue or the smallest town to ever host an NFL game. Give well, we us a played, little slice we, of what that was like to <laughs> barnstorm in a six-game preseason back in the 60s with a Cowboys team that was just getting off the ground. Well, well Don, let me let me tell you the full story because it's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, in, it, we played uh, the Los Angeles Rams in Pendleton, Oregon. And, and, and you know, Pendleton is a small town. And it's the smallest town I could find, and I researched about 100 places uh, where uh, preseason games were played. And, and so we played this preseason game there, and the interesting thing about it is the Pendleton Roundup had just finished the, the day before, which is one of the biggest rodeos in the United States. And uh, needless to say, the field was not in prime condition. But one of the things among many that, that uh, reflect back for me is uh, one of the officials, the referee, uh, came in, and they had this turnstile that went from floor to ceiling, you know, eight or ten feet high. And, and uh, he politely asked, where are the officials dress? And the uh, man there said, well, out there in gate 15. He said, what do you mean gate 15 or shoot 15? He said, well, it's good enough for these rodeo cowboys. It's sure <laughs> is that good enough for you. And and so here you got today the air-conditioned rooms with everything in it for the officials. But interesting enough, uh, I went back to Pendleton, oh, I don't know, 24 years later, uh, to see a player at Eastern uh, Eastern uh, Mont- Eastern uh, Oregon. Eastern Oregon. Yeah, I couldn't think where state I was in. Eastern Oregon, and 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 the player the player wasn't very good. And so I said, thank you, appreciate you working out. Uh, I took the coaches for lunch and then headed back to the airport in Pendleton. And uh, I, I said, you know, I'm going to stop at the rodeo grounds here and see if they have any uh, old memorabilia. And I stopped, and a lady there was so nice. And, and uh, about two weeks later, we see, received this nice big package of all pictures that were taken there with this nice letter. And said, you know, the Chamber of Commerce, the editor of the paper, uh, we at the rodeo ground think it would be great to have a 25th anniversary of a preseason game here in Pendleton, Oregon, again. And as a show of our good faith, uh, we're, we're prepared to offer you this, 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 and this. Well, the amount of money that was offered wouldn't have even paid for the rooms in town, uh, is what it was. <laughs> so I, you and I have seen uh, preseason come and go, many stories, you know, uh, I spent two and a half years, Coach Landry figured it out one time, that he and I spent two and a half years of training camp for the Dallas Cowboys wow. in Thousand Oaks, California. A lot of great things happen in those training camps, a lot of great stories. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I really enjoy uh, going to St. Joseph's, Missouri to see Kansas State, or to see Kansas City, I should say. Uh, and and it's, it's, you know, preseason before you get to plan is really fun. Now, one thing, Don, once you get to plan, the season goes fast. We're already up on the third week already. No, you're right. Absolutely. Joined again by Gil Brandt, Sirius XM 
NFL Radio Late Hits with Alex Marvez and also a longtime personnel executive for the Cowboys. And obviously I forgot to mention your real role, Gil, which is godfather of the NFL draft, a role that you have carved out uh, in your post-Cowboys career. Um, Gil, one quick question. You know, we call this week in the preseason, week three, as you mentioned, dress rehearsal game. I don't think that really holds anymore. Does anybody ever really put together a real honest-to-goodness game plan, you think, for week three of the preseason? And compared to yesteryear when they, they did play with intensity in the preseason, what do you think week three really is about in this year's NFL or this, this day and age's NFL? Well, well, first let's go back to game planning. Everybody that I spoke with, uh, as an example, at, at Atlanta, uh, Dan Quinn, or DJ as they call him, DQ as they call him, uh, said, you know, uh, we'll start game planning uh, for week one right now, but we don't game plan uh, for any of our preseason games. And, and if I remember correctly, uh, we game planned a little bit uh, for game three and, and played most of our regulars most of the time during the game. And, 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 and a few selected rookies that we thought had a chance to make our team. And, and one of the great stories that comes out of the week three for me is uh, Dave Manders, our center, an undrafted free agent who went to the Pro Bowl, uh, was holding out. I think we, uh, he would, had made $20,000 a year before. We offered him 24. He wanted 26. And uh, he was holding out. We had a guy that we thought was a pretty good center, a rookie from Arizona. And in that particular game against Denver, he threw the ball over the punter's head into the stands. <laughs> and as only Coach Landry can do, walked up to me with his arms folded, and he said, have Manders signed and at practice on Monday. Yeah. I said, yes, sir. And needless to say, Manders received his money that he wanted. The proverbial, you had one job. That's a long snapper's life. Gil, so you said you had a chance to visit nine camps or so this particular preseason. I don't think anybody, I don't think Guy Fieri on his show Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives has, has visited more Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives than you have NFL preseasons over the course of your life. Who, what, from what you've seen so far this year, has hopped off the field? Who really stood out to you? I'd love to hear your take maybe on teams that really jumped off the practice field and from what you saw in camp, maybe looking to make a name for themselves early this year. Well, let, let, let's start backwards and, 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 and go forwards if there is such a thing. Uh, my last stop was at Kansas City uh, and St. Joseph's, Missouri, and the big talk about there was the eclipse about how all of these people were going to come into the St. Joseph era That's right. area and watch the eclipse that took place yesterday. And uh, they're a team uh, that's really got a pair and a spare. And by that I mean uh, they've got a lot of depth. They've probably got the best roster in the National Football League. And uh, it's it, they open with New England. It's going to be a great Thursday night game. Uh, I, I thought that they're a very, very good football team. And, of course, their big thing is the quarterback. And the quarterback actually has won about 70% of his games or a high percentage of his games. Uh, but the problem with him was he was the number one overall draft pick. And had he been about the 10th pick in the first round, everybody would have been happy with him. So I think Kansas City's a very, very good team. I thought Atlanta was a very good team. Uh, I think Quinn does a great coaching job. You know, the big question there is uh, they lost their coordinator, Shanahan, 
and will the new offensive coordinator be able to do what uh, what Shanahan did last year? I thought Carolina really helped themselves in the offseason. I thought with their first two draft picks, uh, that was a really big help for them. And and the, the big question there is Newton, and Newton is on a pitch count, so to speak, and I don't think he's 100% healthy, but sure as heck he's going to throw for better than 52% of his passes that he completed last year. Uh, I really like Detroit. I thought Detroit, uh, and then after I left there, two of their defensive linemen went down uh, is what it is. But I, I think this, I, I think as I made all these places, I think Oakland has a chance to win. I think the Cowboys have a chance to win. I think the the uh, the Arizona Cardinals, if the quarterback comes in, has a chance to win. Long story short, I think we have the greatest collection of, of competitive balance in this league that we've ever had. And, you know, it was pretty good last year. Uh, we went down to that last week, and uh, a lot of things happened. Uh, the Cowboys got beat at home by Green Bay after they beat Green Bay at Green Bay. So I think our league, Pete Rozelle, and, and, and who always wanted uh, competitive balance, I think he's seeing that, and I think the fans are enjoying it. Gil, last thing, and we'll let you go. You know, you, you still live in the Dallas area. You still has, have all those historical ties to the franchise, and that is still a team of, of um, a perennial fascination. I wondered your impressions. You spent a lot of time out in Oxnard to at, toward the start of your camp tour. Um, things were just getting cranked to life. But a couple things, obviously. If indeed Ezekiel Elliott is out for the first six games, and that story has a long way to go, do you believe that could put them in some sort of a hole that might make it difficult for them to defend their NFC East title? Do you believe that they're starting to get nervous about Kellen Moore as their backup quarterback, as appears um, possible by this week's developments, uh, bumping uh, Rush up from three to two and giving him reps with the second team? And bottom line is, you do you still believe Dallas, no matter what, is the class of that division? Well, I, I think that uh, if Elliott is gone for six games, I think the Giants win that division. Uh, and I think the Cowboys are the uh, are the wild card team. Uh, I think what takes place uh, is if they lose him uh, for six games, uh, this becomes a 10-win team rather than a 13-win team like last year. And also remember this, it's going to be harder for the quarterback to perform well because now instead of having to defense the run and the pass, people are going to really put more emphasis on defensing the past, which makes it harder for the quarterback to have a year that was probably the best year ever uh, in the history of the National Football League by a rookie quarterback. Uh, you know, three interceptions for the entire season, uh, 13 wins uh, after starting out 0-1 uh, when they couldn't score any points against the Giants. Uh, but And, and I, 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 I think that they, they, they've got McFadden, and I think he's a pretty good player. Uh, and I think they've got a great offensive line. So I think they should get 80% of production out of McFadden or out of the running game uh, that they got out of Ezekiel. Uh, but you, you can't lose a guy that leads the league in rushing and is, is a threat out of the backfield without it hurting your one-loss record. Kellen Moore making people nervous, Gil? He doesn't make me nervous. Uh, you know, he's a guy that's uh, he, he he he's 
he's adequate fill-in is what he is. Uh, I'm not sure how many games he's going to win by himself, but I don't think he's going to lose games by himself. Yeah, I, 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 I'm watching that. I, it's, some people think if Mark Sanchez comes free from Chicago's roster, he could end up back in Dallas. It seems I don't, I don't think that'll happen. You do not. seems like there's some concern uh, that while Moore has in his career been accurate, he's, he's not making the plays they thought he would. Gil Brandt, thanks so much for the time. Sirius XM NFL radio host, obviously NFL.com, longtime analyst, um, the godfather of the draft. Thanks for the time today on Cover 2 Podcast, Gil. Thank you, Don. A pleasure. All the best. Absolute delight talking to a living football legend and somebody who may forget more about football before he goes to sleep tonight than most of us actually know. Don, I'd like to posture this, that whether he gets in this year or not to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Gil Brandt should be a hologram there. Gil Brandt should be <laughs> like, he should be your virtual tour guide. They should o- bring Obi-Wan. him in. Yes, Obi-Wan. exactly. He should appear to you when you walk into the Pro Football Hall of Fame and they should record him saying everything the same way they do announcers on video games because I want him to be the face of football knowledge and kids to learn from him when they go to someplace like the Hall of Fame because he just... Maybe he, a clipboard he, instead of a saber? He's holding a clipboard and taking notes or he's something. He's known and has seen it all, man. Yeah, Unbelievable. He, he has been around. I mean, I've covered this league 27 years, and if you think about it... Um, that spans his post Cowboys career. They let him go, obviously with the purge, uh, mm-hmm. Tom Landry, uh, Gil Brandt, and all the uh, executives in Dallas. When when Jimmy Johnson was hired, replacing Landry, Jerry Jones bought the team in 1989. So he covered the draft in '89 for Dallas, and then he left that organization after 29 years. And everything he's done after that um, dovetails with my career covering the NFL. That's how long Gil Brandt has been watching football. And so much of the draft and what a spectacle it is now, we have to thank Gil Brandt for. I mean, the, the NFL draft is one of the highest rated primetime it's television shows. It gets better ratings than any show on ABC, NBC, Fox, CW, whatever. He he has done an amazing job. I, I, I try to describe what he does. He's kind of the conduit between college football and all those prospects and the the entry into the NFL. If you've never been to the NFL scouting combine in Indianapolis, in some ways Gil runs that because he just knows everybody in both camps and it's like the it's like the bridge that has been built between college football and the professional game and Gil shepherds people across that bridge as they're transitioning into boy this sounds almost like metaphorical and deathlike but as they're tra- transitioning into the league there is Gil to kind of walk them over that bridge and that's the closest thing I can come to an analogy suffice to say whether he gets into Canton this year, next year, or anytime soon, his mark has been left on the league, and people will know his name, and the knowledge he has will be passed on for a long time to come. Absolutely. All right, well, we talked a little bit earlier about the the Blake Bortles, Chad Henney, Jacksonville quarterback country, but if you step back a little, Nick, as mm-hmm. I tried to do uh, in writing my this week's bank shot video comment, uh, which I will tape shortly, um, it's not just Jacksonville. If you just look at what has happened to the quarterbacking landscape in the AFC specifically this month, it's remarkable. Try to try to wrap your head around this. So you want to challenge Tom Brady and the Patriots. You want to close that gap, right? Well, uh, 
Jay Cutler's now in Miami with his sterling record of losing football games because Tannehill's gone. Tom Savage, who throws no fear in the heart of anyone, is now the man in Houston. It looks like he's won that job clearly over Deshaun Watson, at least for now. Trevor Simeon, your favorite journalism student, Mm -hmm. is now number one again, clearly in Denver. Paxton Lynch didn't get it done. Meanwhile, Joe Flacco hasn't stepped on the field. Andrew Luck hasn't stepped on the field. Two potential contenders right there. Then you throw in Chad Henney in in Jacksonville. You throw Brock Usweiler in Cleveland. I think he's getting the nod, as I predicted. Josh McCown is going to be your Jets starter. Oh, boy. Can you believe the AFC? I mean, if it's not Derek Carr, Mariota, or Roethlisberger, you're pretty much... You're pretty much challengerless in the AFC. And can I even go so far as to say that what you just said, Mariota, Derek Carr, and Ben Roethlisberger, you add Tom Brady in, and I think we're going to watch the season because, well, it's football, and we all have fantasy teams, and what else are we going to do on the weekends? <laughs> Pay attention to our families and have you know lives? No. We're going to watch football. But what you just did, Don, I think you just laid out the division round AFC matchups. Yeah, I legitimately. I think you're going to be watching. I think you're going to see Tennessee coming into Foxborough, and I think you're going to see either Pittsburgh in Oakland or Oakland in Pittsburgh. Right. Who else? Those are your final four. That's. I I truly think Tennessee. Now, granted, it's again pretend football. You got to play the games. We got to play the games. Yada yada yada. Caveat on any given Sunday. Caveat caveat. That's a new. That's a new cliche. You play to win the game. Well, we'll have to break those down maybe next week too. that that's the talent right there. No, there's no quarterback that is going to rot. Tyrod Taylor is not going to shock. The As world. you mentioned, they just lost his best two receivers. They don't have anyone to throw to. Jordan Matthews comes in, gets a chest injury in his first practice. And Quan Bolden does what any logical human being should do after spending two weeks in Buffalo says, nah, I'm good, bro. And retires $4 million is not worth basically taking a chance to go 8-8 eight and eight in your final NFL season. And I, I know what you're thinking out there. I, 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 can almost, I can almost sense it. You're saying, but what about what about Phillip Rivers, Andy Dalton, and Alex Smith? And I say, fair enough, but the next big game they win will be the first truly big game they win. So I don't think people look at New England and say, oh, San Diego, Cincinnati, or Kansas City is really going to make a deep run at taking them off the pedestal either. So that's your state of quarterbacking in the AFC up to the moment. We the, covered- those teams will keep people sharp this year. You know what I mean? They're going to be Kansas City, the Bengals, the Chargers. You know, Will the Chargers get more wins than Phillip Rivers has kids? I don't know. But those teams will keep you sharp. They're, the, they're, they're sort of like the developmental iron that will keep those top four teams sharp. But it's the big four, and then it's a bunch of also rims. So Tyrod Taylor in Buffalo just lost Sammy Watkins via trade to L.A., the Rams. And now, just yesterday, or Sunday, I should say, Anquan Bolden, the 14-year veteran, mm-hmm. consistent, reliable, who had only been a bill for two weeks. Uh, your theory is that he— All set. That's it. Your theory is he woke up, realized he had been in Buffalo. <laughs> Two weeks in Buffalo, I'm good. And decided enough is enough. But very seriously, he decided that he could do more good for the world outside of the game of football using his platform. Um, look, th- he's no Johnny-come-lately to this cause. He has, he's been an NFL Man of the Year. He has a, a well-established foundation to help um, uh, young children in the South Florida area. 
I, I believe this is really where his heart is. But he said, rather surprisingly, that Charlottesville and the tragedy that unfolded there a couple Saturdays ago opened his eyes to the platform that he thinks he can make the biggest effect in the world right now is not, not as a football player catching passes from Tyrod Taylor, but as someone who is going out into um, the world and trying to make a difference. There are people that call it a career for a higher cause every now and again, and maybe Bolden is the latest one for his own particular purpose. If he thinks that's where he can serve his cause, his heart, and the world better, by all means. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of young, talented guys out there that probably deserve the that deserve the reps that he's played great. I mean, look, he we're not going to doubt his ability now because most people thought he was done last year, and then he had a terrific season with the Lions. Right? Yeah, yeah, eight touchdowns, I mm-hmm. believe, in somewhat limited time. I I do wonder <laughs> who's. I mean, Zay Jones better step up as a rookie in Buffalo. Boy, Chris Hogan would come in handy about yeah, now. Huh? We could. I could honestly. I could read you a list of Buffalo Bills wide receivers and hip hop stars. And I don't think you. I, maybe you'd get fifty percent right. Yeah, yeah. I, you could just. That just sounds like complete. I have no idea who catches footballs this year for the Buffalo Bills. It's certainly, you know, they're certainly looking at twenty eighteen stocking draft picks. I'm not going to use the T word. I don't believe they are tanking any more than the Jets are. But the Bills seem to have a philosophy that is stealing a page, believe it or not, out of the Cleveland Browns playbook. Let's stock up with as many picks and try to redo this thing. And that certainly means the focus for 2017 has been lessened. I wish Deshaun Kaiser would get the starting job in Cleveland. I think they'd be, I think they'd be a better team. I think they'd be far more entertaining and more watchable. But, Don, between you and me, I don't know how I'm going to sleep between now and next Monday night when the New York Jets do make the off-season announcement we've all been looking forward to most. Who is going to win the coveted title of Miss New York Jets 2017? (laughs) Is it going to be McCown? Will it be Hackenberg? Will it be Petty? This pivotal Jets-Giants always bloodbath in week three of the preseason should decide it, Nick. Whoever wins, we all lose. And we were saying earlier off mic, who's going to win the Jason Seahorn Memorial Jets-Giants Injury Award this That's year? That's right. This was, the, uh, this was the game that Mark Sanchez got hurt in the fourth quarter when Rex Ryan put him back in about four years ago, spelling, uh, well, beginning his demise in New York. We can't forget the butt fumble. All right, it's a pretty good show. Gil Brandt was great, as we knew he would be, turning back uh, the clock into the history books, but also current enough to talk about what just happened last night in the NFL. Uh, I want to throw out a special plug. First of all, on Twitter, let's let's remember, if you guys have ideas, the listeners, you want us to hit certain topics, you want us to do a show devoted to blank, let us know. I'm on Twitter at Don Banks. It's very easy. Nick, you're on Twitter at? At Ahoy Nick Stevens. Always welcome feedback, comments, uh, suggestions, ideas. Somebody you'd like us to interview, please, by all means, let I, us know. I want to give a little pub to... Uh, A story I did last week on Patriots.com, Jimmy Johnson talking about his friendship with Bill Belichick. Uh, Good stuff in there, how they met, their fishing trips. Um, And then this week again, the story I just wrote for yesterday on Robert Kraft and the class of potential contributor Hall of Fame nominees, what might happen in Friday's vote. Give those two a look. I did a lot of reporting. I think it's good stuff. Nick will be back next week, and we're almost, almost to real football. For Don Banks and Nick Stevens, this has been the Cover 2 Podcast. Thanks for listening once again.
Thank you for downloading the Cover 2 podcast from Patriots.com. Second and goal to go from the two. Toss sweep right for James White. Cuts it under the right arm. Cuts it upfield. Driving forward. It's diving to the goal line. It's still a touchdown. It's still and a title for the Patriots. It. I can't believe it. They have completed the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. Log on to Patriots.com anytime for more news and more podcasts covering your favorite team and all things NFL.